Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. I'm going to give just a little update on something new we're doing within this series, and that is that every week we are going to be reciting a creed together. So today we're going to recite the Nicene Creed. Now, if you've been around for a while, you know we have at different times recited creeds before, but for some of you, this is kind of new, and we're doing this for a couple reasons. Number one, um, when we recite words like this that are um, rooted on scripture, they're formative to us, and so we do this as spiritual formation together and as individuals, but specifically for this creed, our whole new series is called Cornerstone. I'll talk about that in a minute, but part of what's going on is, you know, we have a lot of new faces around, people who are um, exploring different churches, and I often get the question, like, what's your statement of faith? What are you all based on as a Christian church? And the fact is, we're based on the creeds. Our What we believe as uh, Christians is based on these words that were drafted a long, long time ago by some different councils who came together and said, what is true about this mystery of our triune God and what is not true? And so they, they formed these creeds and they've become in church history sort of a foundational statement of faith. And so if you all um, would join me in reading with this creed, and so you know you'll see a little asterisk on the last slide. This was written far before Catholic and Protestant churches broke. And so in this context, the word Catholic means universal, like the one and only Church of Jesus is what that means. So uh, please join me in reciting this creed together. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. So thanks for joining me in that sort of new tradition through the course of this. And again, part of this is to just know when we're up here talking, teaching, singing, when we're doing all we're doing together, it's important to know what it is that we believe when we uh, gather together as the church. So what we're doing is we're starting in to a new six-week series, taking a moment to step outside of the Gospel of Luke to talk about what it means in our life together to actually operate with that 
uh, scripture that uh, Matthew read for us this morning with, with uh, one temple together being built together with Jesus as our cornerstone. So the way that we're going to talk about this does indeed use some of our language here at Missio Dei Chicago, um, but I'm going to explain a little bit why we're doing it that way. So when we talk about what we want to be about as a community, as a church, we talk about things like vision, our mission, and our values. We're going to use these as tools to go through our series on Cornerstone. What does this mean to live out our vision and our mission and our values together when we do life together as this holy broken church? Our timing on this series is intentional. Why this topic and why now? Last week, as you know, if you were here with us, we, res- we celebrated our resurrected King Jesus on uh, Easter Sunday morning. And we're still finding confetti. It was all over my office still this morning. I don't know if, you, if those of you who carry a purse, look in there. It's still there. Um, there's confetti. But anyway, we had a fun celebration and we worshiped a resurrected Lord who has risen victoriously over all of the power of darkness and even death itself. That's good that our focus has been on the gospel account of uh, Luke's gospel account of Jesus' life and his earthly ministry, his teachings, his actions. We want to be a community that is formed based on the person and the work of Jesus. We want to be learning from Jesus and keeping his teaching, his actions, his words, his way of prayer, his lifestyle at the center of all that we do. But that's also part of why we decided to pause now and talk about what it means to keep Jesus central in our life together as the church. Now, you may notice that for this series, I am, in fact, using some Missio Dei language, but you guys, please hear this. This is not about Missio Dei language at all. That's not the point of this. I'm using that as a springboard to get us through some different core truths about being the church, the capital C church, the universal church together. Um, The Nicene Creed, like we just talked about, that's talking about what does it mean to be like one universal church? That's a big statement. This is not about our specific way of doing church, but the series is meant to be God's design for this, this bride of Christ, this universal body of Christ, this church, capital C Church of Jesus Christ. All of us, regardless of denomination or anything else, we're using Missio Dei, Dei language here because we, we are us. Like, that's just how it is. But all that we do and all that we're talking about is what all church expression, whatever your local expression look like, what is this thing church biblically called to? What is it biblically designed to? So just, again, using our language so we can remember how our personalized expression, how our particular expression works, um, but it's how we're all supposed to live this out. So we want to do this series, go through these these motions, our mission, vision, and values in a way just to um, remember our broader call. And our local language will be a part of that. Like if you asked me, Melissa, tell me about being a pastor. Melissa, tell me about being a mom. I can talk more broadly, but my personal embodied experience would come out in what I speak because I'm a part of that storytelling of that experience. Think of it that way. Like this isn't about this particular expression, but instead it's our our embodied language of doing this thing right here in Wrigleyville is gonna come out in our language when we talk about the broader, what does it mean to be the bride of Christ? Because no church has it all right, you guys. I mean, nobody does. I'll be the first to say, we are all doing this 
thing the best that we can, hopefully, and we are accountable to one another in how we do that. I love this book, uh, uh, Practicing Christian Doctrine by Beth Felker Jones, and I paraphrase what she says, um, and I didn't find the exact quote, but it's so in my mind. I might be off by a word or two, but I love what she says. She says, do not give up on the living witness of the holy broken church, like capital C, all of us. Don't give up on that living witness. Without it, how can we testify to God's grace? So there's no place that it gets it all right, but if we want to have a good view, they call it ecclesiology, fancy word, whatever, ditch it if you want, but it's about like what does it mean to really be intentional about how we do this thing and why it matters. This, operating in a local expression as a body of believers, this is God's design for God's presence in this time in the world today. In this bit of time between Jesus' earthly ministry until his return when the kingdom is fulfilled, and if you were here last week, between those gardens, right? In the time between those gardens, this is the plan on how uh, the kingdom of God will inbreak in and through the people of God. I was thinking about this specifically in the wake of Easter Sunday. I, as if you were here or if you were somewhere else, you probably heard a similar message last week wherever you were at church. Uh, They talked about this glorious victory of an empty tomb. And then on Monday morning, there came this devotional into my inbox, one that I'd signed up for. And uh, this the author of this said, uh, encouraged me, and I did it, to like actually think about the personalized moments of the encounters that happened in that precious little piece of time between Jesus resurrecting and Jesus ascending to sit at the right hand of the Father. What what were those little moments, those snippets we get? It's interesting because all of the Gospels have these different snippets recorded. There was a lot of very personalized and intimate moments with with the resurrected Lord. Uh, The Gospel of John talks about this moment in the garden of the tomb where Mary Magdalene is present, crying so hard she can't even recognize Jesus. She thinks he's a gardener, and he says her name, Mary. And then she knows who it is by the sound of that name being called by her Lord. What an intimate moment. I think about the warmth of the breath that Jesus breathed on his disciples as recorded in John 20, 22, when Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit. And he breathed on them. Like, feel that. That's a tactile moment. Telling Thomas, when Thomas was doubting, in Thomas's doubt, he did not shame him. He said, here, put your finger here. Put, go ahead, Touch it, put your finger here and see my hands, John 20, 27. The moment when Jesus invited friends on the seashore, come, have breakfast, smell that, the the campfire and the cooking fish and the invitation, come, come sit and have breakfast. The uh, encounter with Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Each of these moments, you guys, if we pause and sit in them, Deeply personal, intimate encounters with the words of a risen Lord right there. Think about if you had been one of the ones walking to Emmaus, unpacking with this person who started, we're so sad, it didn't go the way we thought it was going to go. And this person who you don't yet recognize as Jesus starts unpacking how all of scripture pointed to this moment that this was the risen Lord. And he says to them, as he breaks the bread at the table, when they sit to rest, he breaks the bread and he says, you are my witnesses, my living witnesses of all that's happened here, right? 
In Mark 16, he tells the disciples, go tell this good news. Be my living witnesses. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. All of these are very real, very embodied encounters that happened. And I was sitting thinking about this, this moment, these moments, these beautiful, intimate moments that happened in the shadow of the empty tomb. And it made me think, why didn't you stay? If I had been in one of those moments, you guys, I'm just being honest. This is what I was thinking on Monday doing that devotional. I would have been like, can you please stay? Like, we'll totally take another 30 years of you instructing us, teaching us. We've seen the empty tomb now. Like, keep going. Don't stop now. Stay. Please stay with us. But that wasn't the plan. That wasn't the plan. I'm just being honest. Like, I would have wanted that. But that wasn't God's plan. This holy broken thing that we do, that churches right now are doing all over the place on Sunday morning, this thing, this is the plan. Jesus said in Luke 24, I am sending you what the Father promised. God's presence through the Holy Spirit in the people who follow Jesus. Standing on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, walking the streets of Chicago, This is the plan. This is not an accident. This is not a, oops, Jesus ascended, now what should we do? It's not that. It's not a plan B. It was always the plan for God's presence to break in in this period of history through the local expressions of church. And that matters. What we do, how we do it, why we do it in our life together, any body of believers together, it matters. In God kingdom kind of ways, it matters. Our passage today and our route for this series, uh, we'll go into other places as well, but launching with what Matthew read for us, this was the Apostle Paul writing to a real, holy, broken mess of a group of people following after Jesus in Ephesus. He's writing to them, reminding them who they are, Reminding them as they gather together, what is your core identity? Who are you as you gather together? He reminds them, he, Jesus, came and preached peace to you who were far away. In this context, remember, this is a really big uh, cultural chaos moment as Jew and Gentile are suddenly gathering together, calling Jesus Lord. He says, he came to preach peace for you who are far and peace for those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers. Because remember, the Gentiles were before. You were no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Side note, like part of reading the creed is to remember that we are here in 2022 built on a foundation of ecumenical councils that did big work so long ago. Like we're built on a foundation far longer ago than even Chicago, right? Okay, that was a side. Where was I? With Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. So here are a few things to notice as we launch into this series and when we talk about what it means, our mission and vision in our life together as churches around the world. Notice the participatory language that Paul uses 
and Christ is always at the center. Paul says, through him, through him, we have access to the Father by the Spirit. In him, the whole building is joined together. In him, you, church, are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by the Spirit. I was at a conference recently, a a workshop thing, with a scholar named Michael Gorman, who I really appreciate. And he was talking about the extent of this participatory language through the early church documents that we call the New Testament. Most of, most of the New Testament is actually, it's letters. It's letters being written to real groups of people like us, trying to help them learn how to do this together, how to be in Christ together. And Michael Gorman points out this amazing, he went way deeper into all the grammar that I'm gonna even pretend to go into. But he talks about it and he really has a very compelling study on how these words have so much depth to them and and were a new way to communicate this kind of relationship. the, The language of in Christ, with Christ, and one of my favorites, into Christ. Like that participation. Gorman says this, mission, starts with God. God participates with us and we participate with God. Initiative of this is God's. So hospitality, greeting one another, love, togetherness in people of a church community. We do all of it because we are in Christ. That's like our status. That's our place. That's our participation place. And so at the core, I would say this, the message of Jesus to the followers is not just that they are being saved from something because of his atoning work, right? Forgiven from sin, true, but it's so much more. They're being saved into something and into something that matters very much at this moment in our history, in the history of the world, being saved into something. Now, I just want to pause for a second because I was thinking about this, um, this truth that, that we've perhaps heard before, to be a sinner saved by grace is like, that's amazing. That's really great. That's really big news. And it's a big deal. But sometimes I think it can be the only part of the message that especially uh, modern Western evangelicals hear. I was on the phone with a, a woman a while ago and I was talking about this idea. Well, you know, it's not just about the get out of hell free card at the end of the game, you know? Like there's more, you're saved into something. And after we talked for a while, she literally stopped me. She's a couple years older than me. She said, I've been going to church my entire life and I never knew. I really did think it was just so that I'd be on the right side of things at the end of the game. I didn't know there was any other piece. Like I thought the message was, I am a sinner and I need to be saved on that day. And yes, that's like really great, but that's not it. And I think that that's the piece where when we fall short, we don't realize the kingdom impact of our life together as holy, messy people. So living church life for the moment of death is just, it's not enough for me. I just, it's not. So participatory language. We are in Christ, through Christ, in him, into Christ. I love Colossians 3.3. There's this version of the Bible. It's called the Amped version. If you guys haven't seen it on your Bible gateway, you can just like toggle around different versions. If you get a little bit stuck on a verse, go try this version because it parenthetically explains what you may not hear in the English right away. And so anyway, I love this version. It says, you died to this world and your new real life is hidden with Christ 
in God, with Christ, in God. When we talk about this language of, you know, dying to old self and rising to new, it can be confusing. But what this is talking is, is having a life where we participate in that which Christ has done and we become a part of God's action and mission in the world because of it. Through him, because we are in him. This is how all churches can say that we are joining God in the renewal of all things. That's how we can say a vision like that. So if we have written a vision statement that says, like, where are we going? Why, why are we doing this thing? What's the, what is this about? It's about joining with God in the renewal of all things. Some participatory elements that we want to focus on throughout all of what we do together. This is like a commitment that we want to share together. I think of a few. How do we engage with that kind of lofty language in community? Well, this is why we do a lot of the things we do, right? Here, they, they look different in different communities. That's totally okay. But that's why we gather around table fellowship on the first Wednesday of a month for community night to be together. I don't know if you guys have noticed this or not, but living in the city, having points of intersection with your church family is really, really hard. We live scattered all over this city. I'm probably not going to run into you at my kids' soccer game, although my kids don't play soccer, PTA meeting. I'm not going to run into you at the grocery store, probably. We go to different ones. You know, like we don't have a lot of points of intersection. So community night matters. Our gospel communities, these small groups of people who get together every week together to just, just to intersect, to talk about living this this, this way of life together and the reality of our place and time, that's why that kind of stuff matters. How we pray together, how we, how we sing together, how we learn together, all of this matters as a community, how we say formative words together. We are trying to be built into something like even the creeds, the statement of faith, that is engaging in this truth in like real and tangible ways. If you've been around a while, you probably are saying like, yeah, Melissa, that's just like the stuff we do. And to that, I say, yes, I love that you think that. That is just what we do because it's all centered with Jesus as the cornerstone. It's intentional. It's for a purpose, not just social gatherings. So, and then how do we engage as a community in the ways of Jesus? This is what we call the sacraments. These are really important. There's spiritual grace imparted as we enter in to uh, celebrate baptisms as a one-time event and celebrate every week reminders of that baptism, that dying to old self and rising to new. We celebrate that every week at the communion table. So we, we, we engage in the ways of Jesus really intentionally because those rhythms matter. Grace is imparted in those sacred moments. So our vision is to reflect God's vision for the universal church, all churches, to participate, to be together in Christ, joining God in what God is doing around us. And we're active agents in that. We can be varying degrees of active agents, but like that's a pretty big deal to think that you are an active participant in something like that. Gordon Fee talks about the importance of this temple imagery in the passage in Ephesians 2 that we read. He talks about that this is God's plan for presence throughout all of scripture and that God's presence is what distinguishes the people of God from all other people on the face of the earth. In Exodus 33, uh, verses 15 and 16, uh, you, you know, the, the, the people of God have been stiff-necked and stubborn. And Moses is kind of saying, like, don't, don't give up on us, as a paraphrase. And God's like, ah, you stiff-necked people. And Moses says this. 
Moses said, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? Like, do not deny us your presence. What are we then without your presence? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And so we know this, like this presence, the people are marked by the presence of God. It's a really important thing. So Gordon Fee says this, there's not a more important word in all of the New Testament as to the nature of the local church than this one, holy temple. The local church is God's temple in the community where it is placed. Here or wherever else, we celebrate these local expressions of God's temple presence. And so, by the presence of the Spirit alone, by whom God has now visited God's people, that's what it is to be a holy temple built with Christ at the cornerstone. I wanted to share quickly two words that have such deeper meaning in the context in which they were originally um, written than what we might see now. These two words um, used in the New Testament are uh, koinonia and ekklesia. And these two words, we don't have to go into the Greek, but the point is, is like we call them now like um, uh, fellowship or like gathering. The word would be like gathering. Like here we're in, we're in a gathering of people right now who follow Jesus. So specifically for that. And um, the other one is uh, translated church, which we around here often just describe to our building. I'm going to church. I'm going to that place. No, 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 but what this meant in the original language is so much more participatory. The koinonia word, uh, which is now gathering of believers, it meant participation. It meant like, like a, it, there was a tone of partnership in the term, that you were entering into a, in a partnership, fellowship, uh, agreement's the wrong word, situation, it, but, it, but it was very much participatory language, first with God through the spirit in our midst and with one another. And it means that, like to just say gathering doesn't do it, does it? It's, it's, it's suggesting something so much more closer to like a partnering in with what God is doing, right? That's what that word was meaning. And um, the ecclesia was one that we say the church, like I said, but it was the word that Paul used for like the people of God, the presence of God gathered together. It was so much deeper and it Really, I've said this before. I really wish we had called the building something else so that we wouldn't just get confused and say, I'm going to church. Because what it's saying you're going to is something so much deeper, so much more in Christ, participatory. Again, I turn to Gordon Fee. Paul's focus and concern are always on the people as a whole. Though entered individually, salvation is seldom, if ever, thought of as simply a one-on-one relationship with God. While such a relationship is included to be sure, To be saved means especially to be joined to the people of God. God is saving a people for God's name, not a miscellaneous, unconnected set of individuals. That's the piece that I think in our translations can get a little bit lost. Now, I'm not gonna belabor this point anymore. I'm just gonna point out a couple of thoughts as we reflect on this piece of the passage, what it means to say, yeah, we're joining God in the renewal of all things. Maybe you've been around a while, And you say, all right, Melissa, you've used those words before. We've heard you get on your soapbox about the building being called church and what church really is and how it matters. I know you dig the word ecclesia. I'm sensing a theme. That might be you. Yep, absolutely, 100%, you are right. I care very, very, very deeply on this conversation. I never had someone say to me, Melissa, I grew up in church in in a Christian home. No one ever said to me, Melissa, your faith, it's all about you. But somehow, 
I did pick that up, you guys. I was a one-on-one -on -one relationship. It was a very personal decision. It was very much um, about me and my status at the end of the game. And I don't think I'm alone. But as I started to study more and got to hear what the truth was, the bigger thing about not being saved from, but being saved into something that matters now, it's like, this is so much more rich. This is so important. I love this part, you guys. In the New Testament, this is, part of it is because I was trying to learn, I was reading my Bible, and it would say, like, you are a holy temple, right? Okay, all of that language, there's no plural you in the English language. So I'm like, I am a holy temple. I am the presence of God. Like, I didn't know I was being formed by that. One of my favorite things was to learn that somebody actually translated the Bible with the closest version of a plural you that we have. It's the y'all Bible. Because every time that the New Testament letters say you are a holy temple, it's saying, hey, you all, y'all, I don't have a good Southern drawl. Someone can do this better. Y'all are the holy temple. Y'all are the presence of God now. Y'all, this matters. And you can't accidentally get this hyper-individualistic mindset if you're reminded that all of this language was to a plural group of people being formed not only, yes, individually, but also collectively into something really important. And I don't know where, nobody told me specifically otherwise, but somewhere I picked it up. And when I realized that there was more, I got passionate about it. So you will hear me talk about this. I love this African proverb, I am because we are. What does it mean to live that way? It's countercultural in our world. I am because we are. And what we are really, really matters. We need that cultural understanding that the people reading these early letters would have totally understood that this was participatory language that was happening. There are cultures and contexts that still live that way, and I would say our culture doesn't naturally do so, but wouldn't it be cool if we did? That's a pretty cool living witness to live into something different like that. The idea of being saved into something, not people with a purpose now, not just about heaven and everything changed and I got passionate about it. So if, you've, if you're in that camp, you've been around and you're like, okay, we've heard that word before, here's what I say to you. This is our collective invitation to remember that we get to hold each other accountable to living that passionate, more exciting story out. You ask me, I ask you, how is Jesus at the cornerstone of this thing we're talking about doing? How is Jesus at the center? How is Jesus made much of when we do that thing that you're saying that we wanna to do together in the life of this body. Like, this is me saying, this is a passion area. Let's all do this together, you guys. This isn't, yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. You're right, I feel passionate about this if you've been around for a while. Maybe you're in another camp. Maybe you are checking out churches and you think, okay, but this is an awfully lofty vision. Like, we're just gonna hang out and join God in the renewal of all things. I'm not sure about this language. Yeah, but you guys, seriously, I mean it. It's not about our wording. This is just a springboard for us to be able to talk about biblical truths. Wherever you find church community, my goal in this series would be that you would feel a new awareness that that matters. Your place in a local expression of holy broken people matters. This is not about the language we use. This is an equipping thing to say as you seek the place that feels like home to you, see if they're keeping Jesus as the cornerstone and not the most frequent preacher 
on their platform. See if they're leaning back into building up from the foundation of the apostles and the saints, not about something else. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, just me, this is a scriptural teaching to say, like, when you pick a local expression, first of all, that matters. And we care a lot about you finding the right fit. Whatever your choices on denomination, on music style, on whoever serves the best coffee, like we will get on board with helping you find the right place. It's not about this. It's about this togethering, mattering for deep, deep reasons. You want to find a community that wants to do that with Jesus as the cornerstone of all they do. And then maybe you're in a different camp. Maybe you're not sure about picking a church at all. You're just exploring faith. Maybe your mom taught you, like, you ought to go to church on Easter. It's like a big deal. And you're like, okay, and so you came, and now you're still like, well, maybe one more time. I don't know. I'll see. Totally fine. This is definitely a good place for learning and teaching and equipping. Maybe you just feel like, I feel like there's something more, but I don't know what it is, and I'll just, whatever. And whatever is totally welcome here. You are so very welcome here and in the universal church as you doubt like Thomas, as you ask questions, all of it. There is something more. There is a bigger story. There's something with a fuller purpose that God has designed for this world and it involves the people together as God's presence. There's a more exciting story rooted in a God who not only created you, but loves you and your doubts and your questions and your unsureness, like all of it. You're just loved. You do not need to remember those Greek words. You do not need to know our mission statement. You don't need to know anything. It's like skip everything else. I want you to know you are loved and you matter. You are loved just the way you are. And you maybe know that there's something missing and that there could be a way where maybe, maybe there could be a path to actually experiencing rightness with God and not just having me say, you've been made right by God. And that is just by saying like, yes, Jesus, I need a saving that I can't do myself. That's what it is. It's like, I need, I need to make, to get this way to right standing and I can't figure that out on my own. And that's what it means when people say like, yeah, I decided that Jesus is the Lord of my life. It's me just saying, like, I need a savior, and I'm not cutting it. And Jesus, you already did it. You cut that path. And so I say yes and thanks, and what does this look like now? And then you get to enter into participatory language while we all get stumbly and messy doing the same thing, which is figuring out how to live that out in our real life together. All of us, no matter how long we've been following Jesus and calling him Lord. And so if that's a piece for you, there's absolutely like no timing on that, right? Like if you're ready to say that, then that's literally just a statement and a decision that you can say. Or if you have 500 more follow-up questions, this is a great place to have those conversations as well. So we can be messy and stumbly together. It's much more fun together. So our invitation today is not only to accept, to receive, to just believe, affirm in our minds so that our hearts have a chance of receiving this love of God as known through Jesus as Savior, but also to enter in to the living witness of this holy broken thing called church community. In our life together, we reflect God to each other and to the world. We reflect a different way of spending our love 
on each other and for the good, for the rising up of others, for the rising up of people who society would put on the margins and we say, no, no, this is what God's heart looks like. This is what justice of God looks like. Like this is what it means to live out loving God and loving others. And in our life together, we wait expectantly for the spirit to move. We get the honor of participating with God in kingdom renewal moments big and small. And part of it is just being willing to be open, like, Holy Spirit, how would you move here? Help me be aware. Help me to be um, ready to be a part of the agency of what is going on um, in these little renewal moments. And in our life together, we get to challenge each other. We get to support each other, all of it in love to help spur each other on um, in pressing forward together. So we're gonna do a couple of things as we move forward. Um, If worship team would come back up. First of all, I I wanna read a passage from Hebrews 12 and consider this as you think about what it looks like to, to live out this holy, broken, messy, stumbly, beautiful thing that is the Christian faith with one another. The author of Hebrews says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, the author has just gone through a long list of people who kept moving forward and didn't give up because they had faith that God was up to something, even if they didn't get to see the fullness of it. He went through this great list of people. That's the cloud of living witnesses of the holy broken mess. They were living witnesses. Okay, that's the great cloud of witnesses. Since we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. There's Jesus as the cornerstone again. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In Christ, may we do that messy, glorious race together joining God in the renewal of all things so that Jesus gets the glory, not any local expression. Jesus gets the glory and that we get to remain postured expectantly of how the spirit will guide us, will form us, will continue to move, fulfilling God's already intense desire to make all things new. Amen? Lord Jesus, um, you've done it all. Uh, My words fall so short. Um, I just lay out here everything that has been said and planned and thought of to make much of you and ask that just you would just get all the glory of of whatever this, this morning has for you. King Jesus, we thank you for what it is that you have done. We pray that you would uh, shape us and mold us uh, as we continue on this path, that we could, we could continue on with perseverance, the race set before us, because you have provided the Holy Spirit to help us, to help us. We are not alone. We are not alone and we are not powerless. We, we, are, we are united with you in, in your death and in your resurrection. And so God, we give you glory and we give you thanks and we continue to sing and pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.